Now you can hear me, right? Sorry about that. And sorry about that, my sixth sense of humor. I told you when you signed up, you were in trouble. This is Dr. Ashley. He's coming on our team this month, and we're so glad. So if somebody would uh, make sure that an offering plate is put on that little shelf on the right, then if you're the person I thought of as soon as I heard that announcement who got a check for $2,000 this week and said, I don't know why I got this, and I have no need of it. God is sovereign, and he's blessing you. So there you go. As we are led. Listen, $200 for a cow. Such a deal. And if you order right now, I'm telling you, what, what is huge to them is really Mickey Mouse to us. You know what I'm saying? So this is how we can bless our brethren. And we have our hands on, feet on the ground there. For those of you who don't re, uh, didn't know, Shirley, that was Shirley who was talking. Where'd Shirley go? There she is. And she was the, uh, the uh, ringleader, kind of, on our visit to that family. And uh, so it was an awesome time. It really was. And I think you might remember that Teresa said, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And Mom had just recently. And so... As much as we can do to support them, the better. So there we go. I have a number of things that I want to mention uh, as we launch into the word today. And the first one is, you guys better be careful. You're going to end up becoming a real church here. And you know, a lot of, I love it. Uh, the, the, the courage to be open to praying, to sharing, to speaking out. I believe that that's normal. In other words, in a, in a normal church, that would be the way it ought to be, instead of our fear and worrying about this. The, the congregation of saints ought to be the safe place. And uh, we should know, we're in the fam. We're all broken, sinner, limping people, and I'm in here with you, right? I'm in here with you. We're all in this mess together. In fact, when I preached today, I'm gonna, I, I said to my wife, I'm going to tell a story out of my own stupidity. And she went, you're actually going to tell that? (laughs) Now I know why she asked me that question. So, uh, yes, I am. And uh, it just reveals how we have to see ourselves in order to grow. So just to give a little context, if you're visiting, and I agree with um, our brother Tim, I did not expect so many people on Labor Day weekend by the way, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> praise the Lord, right? Yeah, you can applaud. Give God a, 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 you know, a praise offering of clapping. That's allowed. I know that some of us come from backgrounds where that wasn't allowed. That's just wrong. I don't know how we get rules like that when the scripture says, clap you, your hands, all you people. Um, how do we trump scripture? I never did understand that. So that's my little... Amen. Even that's okay. Yeah. It really is. You know, when they make a joyful noise in the Old Testament, they made a joyful noise. And it was noise. If you ever heard any of their instruments and stuff, you would know it really is kind of noisy. And uh, so that's how they worship. We have been uh, experiencing over the last three or four months uh, a stirring of the spirit at Harmony. And I'm thanking God for it. You got, you got to know, I am so grateful 
that that is happening. And our prayer, by the way, there's a prayer meeting tonight. Those of you can make it. I know a lot of you are going to go out laboring after church today. That little joke there, yeah. Okay, and, uh, but there is prayer meeting tonight. But even if you're not here, if you're praying for this assembly, if this is the place you call your spiritual home, please continue to pray that the Spirit does not let up off the gas pedal, does not stop pressing us and stirring with us. And that's why I'm encouraged when people are courageous enough to speak out loud or to pray in public, to, to come and not worry about what everybody else thinks, right? How's your mom doing? Very well. Very well. I'm so glad. I heard and I was like, whoa, you guys got your plate full. All right. So today, my message is called Faith Factor 6. Now, the only reason, there it is. The only reason it's called Faith Factor 6 is because 6 comes after 5. And I preached from 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and now we're up to 6. Okay, so everybody got that? No big secret to it. However, I want to point out that the subtitle, What Made You Cross? Does anybody know what that means? It's not talking about the cross. We used to talk that way. Oh, I was very... Elton John, in one of his songs, even said that the sun made him quite cross. That's right. Meant I was miffed. I'm irritated. That's what it means. And it has an asterisk. You all know what an asterisk means. I stole it. So I'll explain that in a few minutes. The reason I'm on this is because Pastor Tim had started uh, massaging the subject of our ethos. And um, are we willing to look upward? Which that's what I liked about our worship this morning. By the way, thank you, worship team. Uh, that last song, as Tim said, it, it kind of sets his dial again. Um, that's not one of my favorite songs, but it worked. And looking up is where we have to start. We have to start by looking up. Then we need to look inward. And when I say inward, it's inside personally and it's inside corporately. We need to look at ourselves and say, how are we doing in this thing called following Jesus? And then thirdly, looking outward, because there are people who need to be ministered to. They're sitting in this room today, and there are people outside of our circle who need to know the God who gives eternal life to people who trust his son. That's why we're here. That's why the church exists. It's because it's a gathering of sinners who've been rescued by the grace of God through Jesus. His death on the cross had paid for our sins. By the way, the only religion in the world that speaks of that issue specifically being released through an atoning personal sacrifice, the God-man coming into the world. That's why we're here. And so we've been trying to get ourselves in order, if you will, having a faith factor, seeing the God who really exists. Is he the living God or not? He is the living God. And what happens and why we, I use the phrase faith factor is simply this. We often live, even if we know him, we often forget, and we act as though he's not around. Have, really, have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought, of, did anybody else in the room have struggles? I'm the only one, I'm sure. That, you know, like controlling your crankiness. Anybody cranky? Look at all the liars in the room. Nobody wanted to admit. Right? We all get that. You know, not, well, there's a few of us that are really mellow. 
You know, so mellow, their spouse goes, are you awake? You know, so. But we get cranky sometimes. And trying to learn how to control that and remember and practice the presence of God, how different it is when I'm by myself and everything goes wrong and if somebody else walks into the room. Come on. Well, why are we blinded to the fact that God is observing us all the time? So that's why I use this title of faith factor, because besetting sin, number one, is our unbelief. We don't always see that the living God is active, and he's involved, and he's around us, and he's watching, seeing things from God's view, or let me put it this way, seeing things with God in view. Anybody ever read um, My Utmost for His Highest as a devotional, right? J. Oswald Sanders, Chambers, Chambers. Yeah, I mix up the Oswalds. Chambers. And he says in there, one of the things that holds us back in unbelief is something along that line, that we don't have God in view for ourselves, that he's actually there. He's got this. So as we were worshiping this morning, my mind went to a prayer that I want to pray as we look into the word together, just about how, have you noticed that the world seems a little bit out of control? Have you noticed that America's feeling a little bit out of control? Another shooting, again and again and again, things are kind of chaotic and out of control, and we start to go, oh my gosh. So a passage of scripture came to my mind, why do the nations rage and so furiously strive together? But he sits in the heavens and laughs because he has this. So I'm going to pray about that in just a minute. So I wanted to encourage us that I've been excited to see signs of growth here, that seeing people praying even about what we're hearing on Sundays and what we're pressing into, that there are bands of brothers and sisters starting to connect and speak life to each other. Can anybody say amen if, if you're doing it? Okay, make sure I'm not fibbing here. That would not go over well this morning. So we want to press in on that as we, we, we grow together. The, the job of people who have accepted Christ, really, is to become more and more like him. We mix that up sometimes. We think we want to be a good church person. Trust me, if you're a good follower of Jesus, you'll be a good church person. A good person in general. Uh, it'll work. And so I want to just encourage us a little bit further in this subject of looking inward and pondering where we're at. And when I look inward, thinking about... How am I looking outward to the person perhaps sitting two seats down from me who may be having a really bad day or a bad life, depending? So would you join me as we pray and ask God to help us understand something from his word that we can get down into our DNA and take with us? We'll thank God for that if it happens. Amen? So, Lord Jesus, today we acknowledge that you are the true and living God, even though you are invisible, immortal, God-only wise, in light and accessible, hidden from our eyes, except that you have revealed yourself in the person of Jesus, who said to his disciples, how can you ask, can I see the Father? Show us the Father. You've had me with you for three to four years, Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Lord, thank you that you've revealed the heart of the living God to us 
And thank you that we can come into relationship with you, the God of heaven and earth, the one who made all things, the one to whom all humanity will one day give account, whether they acknowledge you or not. Thank you that your love for us was so great that even though we, the human race, the fault is on us, we love to blame you when everything goes wrong. But the fault is in our corner. We're the ones who rebelled. We're the ones who are still rebelling to this day. That's why the nations rage so furiously together. But Lord, you tell us that not only did you step into human history, into this broken world, and put yourself at risk and deliberately let yourself be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of people who would never even acknowledge it, but those who do, you take great delight in. And then, God, not only that, you tell us as your children when we do take your son into our lives and choose to be his followers, that all things that are occurring are working toward an appointed end which will be for our good. Oh, boy, do we need to see things from your perspective. Help us illumine our minds. Help us, God. I'm asking you. I'm still learning. I, I stumble all the time. Help me practice the presence of God. You've got this. It is apparently out of control, but not from the heavenly view. Help us, O oh God, to know what kind of people we ought to be in such a confused and broken world. We need you to lead us. We need to be more like you. You seemed unflappable when you entered into this world. Running into people who did all kinds of things contrary to your word right inside his own church group. And you loved us anyway. So God, we need to learn from you. Help us to become more like you. We'll give you thanks and praise this morning. Push back on the powers of darkness who do not want people to know you because it's life eternal. Do not want your children to be looking like you because that's dangerous to his business. So push back on our adversary and give us victory. Holy Spirit, and as I've asked in the weeks before, King Jesus, you're the one who goes out before his people, the king of glory. Fight for your people. Fight on our behalf and help us. In the great name of Jesus, we're asking for this help. We're asking for it for our church. This week, this building next to us is going to be filled with young minds. And we want your spirit to get in there. And help them think your thoughts after you, just like we need to be thinking your thoughts after you. Transform us. Transform them. Undertake by your power. We thank you for helping us. Thank you that we can appeal to you through the person of Jesus, who has made us your children by faith. We bless you. We worship you. We thank you. We praise you in his great name. And all of God's people said... Amen and amen. Does he always pray that long? No, not always. I'm going to ask you to take the Bible in the pew unless you have your own and you want to find your way in your own Bible to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, starting in the 32nd verse. It's page 100, 1000 rather, 1008 in this version. You can pull it out if you don't have your own or you don't have it on your phone or I know a lot of us do. 
can't really be a real Bible, but some of us have it on the phone. And uh, turn to Mark, the 10th chapter. And um, I want to give a little context before we start in verse 32, because Jesus, you know, he spent three to four years with his disciples. And they camped out together and they had meals together and they went to Jerusalem for the big holidays of the Jewish people. And they did all of this stuff as well as went on preaching tours and they experienced all kinds of miracles being around the Lord Jesus. And then they're moving along in this chapter. Just before we start with this text, I don't want to reread the whole thing. But they're having dialogues about um, who can enter the kingdom. Uh, how is it that a rich man, they, Jesus had a dialogue with a rich person, you know, get rid of what you have and follow me. Think about this. Jesus chose 12 disciples. You know, we think, man, if only I lived back when I was with, you know, when Jesus was here. Right? How many of us have ever said that? If only I lived back when Jesus... Yeah. Guess what? You'd still step in it. This rich young ruler comes to him, right? This rich... He said, you know, in one case, it says that Jesus loved him and made an offer that most of, if, if we have our brains screwed in right, we would go, I'm in. Jesus said, you know, there's only one thing you need to do. You've been keeping all the commandments. yet very commendable. You're a fine, upright, morally proper person. Good job. One more thing I want you to do. Sell everything you have and come follow me. <gasps> Who knows what happened? He went away sorrowful. Oh, if it wasn't for that, can you imagine? He, we would have been talking today about the 13 disciples. He missed his chance. His name would have been in lights. I mean, that's amazing. Jesus didn't do that very often. Even a demon-possessed man totally turned around. He said, go back to your hometown. Tell what God's done for you. This one he invites into his circle. That was amazing. Turns them down. So Jesus says this profound comment. By the way, I'm not on this subject. I'm just telling you what happened before we're going to pick up the passage, all right? How hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. How? His disciples, who come from a long Jewish tradition that God's blessing is proven by wealth, in their thinking, who can be saved? What? What? The word that's used in Mark a lot is they were astonished. They were astonished. Jesus said, keep your shirt on. (laughs) With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Yes, even a rich person can accept Christ, right? That's what he's saying. But he keeps moving. So all of a sudden, that triggers some thinking. Peter, who's always right out there. We love to pick on him, right? But he's really pretty cool. But he goes, hey, hey, wait a minute. Now that you mention it, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We've left, what, what are we going to get out of this? Hey, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. You know, self-interest, Jesus appeals to self-interest. Did you know that? Sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have riches in heaven. Isn't that an appeal to self-interest? He's talking about the best IRA you'll ever have. It's eternal. Do you really believe it? Now, see, we need a faith factor six here. We need to see that. 
That's why I've never looked back or thought about whatever I've done, however I've served, how much I've given, whatever it is. It's not lost. It's stacking up, baby. You got to think that way if you're a disciple. Okay? So now, see, I haven't even gotten to the text yet, and I'm preaching. I'm in trouble. We're going to be here till like 2. No, we won't really. So Jesus encourages them, with God all things are possible. And let me tell you something, Peter and all of my other guys, anything you've expended here, you're going to get it back. Trust me. So they're going along, and Jesus says now, and the passage picks up right after that context about, what am I going to get out of this? Here's where it goes. Verse 32, follow along with me if you would. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. Why? He's going to Jerusalem where they want to kill him. Just so you have the context. It's not because they're like, oh, we're really afraid of robbers on the road, or we're really afraid of the traffic. It's like Orange County. It's like terrible traffic. No, that wasn't it. They're afraid because they know if Jesus and his entourage entered Jerusalem, there's a good chance there might be blood. So they're fearful. They're astounded. Why is he doing this? And he's trying to get the point through. He's been trying for three years. Again, he took the 12 aside, began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him, scourge him and kill him. Sounds like appropriate treatment for the living God, don't you think? But three days later, he will rise again. Now think about that. Jesus just said, I'm going up there. This is what's going to happen to me. And I'm sure the whole crowd got kind of silent for a while. But not for long. Because look at the next conversation. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus. Oh, man, we're getting down to the wire here. We better talk to him. Let's pull him aside. Hey, teacher, we want you to do something for us, whatever we ask. Apparently, their mother was behind this. You can look that up another time. But anyway, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Well, it's not too big. Grant that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left. You know, when you're on the dais there in heaven and we have the big meeting... The big, big church service, we want to be at the right hand and the left hand, right there. We're there. there. Man, they were so moved about what was about to happen to Jesus, weren't they? (laughs) Duh. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm being baptized? He doesn't mean in the Jordan River, friends. He's talking about what he's facing, and they're all all starry. Oh, yeah, baby, we're in. We're able. And when he got arrested, what happened to all these guys? Off you go. We're able. Well, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, actually, long term. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. All but one of them lost their lives as martyrs. But to sit on my right or my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, 
We have more drama. Boy, it sure sounds like a church meeting, doesn't it? We have more drama. The ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Whoa. Jesus is setting the tone for his disciples. But there, is, there are two dimensions of it. Last week and the weeks previous, we've been talking about becoming servants, which we should. And I only want to hit this very quickly so I can move on to the bigger point. He's setting the tone that part of being my follower... By the way, what is a disciple? A follower, a learner, someone who comes along in his entourage, wants to learn from him. He follows his example. He tries to model himself after this master. He sets the tone. There's an external serving others, but there's an internal dimension of grow up. Grow up into maturity. So if you're a note taker and you've got your little bullet in there, there's two fill-ins here. The first one is serving. We're going to rip through this really quickly. The second one is followed by maturing. Maturing. And I'm talking today to the little flock the disciples who are hungry to be more and more like Jesus, okay? And if you're not in the little flock, I'm welcoming you in, and he welcomes you in, anyone who's willing to come and know Jesus. Every church struggles, just like every public service organization, the Rotary, anybody, they always struggle with the same thing, getting people to volunteer, to do, right? And uh, for me... It's not even a matter that much of volunteering, although we do get roped into that, right? It's a matter of, what is the Spirit telling me to do? Do I want to serve or not? Do I want to enter into this? And so sometimes there are things that I hear, that's really not me. If I got in there, I'd mess it up. Like, if you want me to sing on the worship team, that'd be a great way to do a fire drill, get everybody out of the building, you know. But if you want me to do teaching, well, now that I get, and a few other things. And uh, so I'm happy to do in my gifting uh, what I'm called to do. And serving is a fun thing, even when it's unexpected or last minute or, or, or inconvenient. Oh, heavens. Yeah, it still blesses me, right? I get, I get some complicated situation I get called into and I get to pour into it and it works. And I go, thank you, Lord. That's good. So follow by serving. Everybody's got the same problem. It just should become part of our DNA as a disciple to find something to do for Jesus. So that verse that we saw last kind of sets the tone. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Last week, I think it was, I asked, is who am I serving? I don't, that's not a trick question. I don't mean, oh, Jesus. No, no, that's not what I mean. Who have I served in the last six months? Have I, have I been inconvenienced or taken the energy to pour something into somebody's life? Depending on what I've got. We all have different things 
to share. We have different love languages. Whom am I serving? I mentioned that the process that God has us in as a disciple is to get us to obey Jesus. And Jesus says, if I modeled this, then you need to model that. That's what he said. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Most of us are not going to be asked to give our lives, literally. But that might happen. You never know. I can't remember the guy's first name, Mr. Pryor, who wrote The Way of Holiness, a book about sanctification, which, by the way, is a process. I just had that conversation this week, right? Salvation is instantaneous when you really get it. When you meet Jesus and he gives you the new birth, new birth can't be, how do you get unbirthed? You got the new birth. You've got the gift of salvation. Sanctification is also printed on you. You're set apart for God, holy, sanctified, set apart. But it's a process that I begin from the moment of conversion. When the new birth happens, that new nature, which, by the way, is from the spirit of Jesus, is going to be striving for the rest of my life to make me look more like him. It's a process. Part of the process is this. A.M. Stibbs was quoted in that book on the way of holiness. The end in view is, this was last week, right? Obedience, that the elect should serve the divine pleasure, that I can know I'm in his divine pleasure by serving, by obeying, by being his follower, right? By being a disciple, that's what it is, a follower. One of the reasons I'm just hitting this very quickly is because I've had three-point sermons for like a month, and I've never finished one of them. But this week, I made a two-point sermon, and I'm determined to finish it, and I'm finishing it with the last part of last week, and that's this. Did that make sense? Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Okay. Recall last week we were talking about spiritual leadership, remember? He gave different giftings to the church, apostles, prophets. By the way, you know, say, well, the apostles, they all died. No, they're still. The word is sent ones. Those who do pioneer missionary work are the apostleship gift. And by the way, if you examine the New Testament carefully, you'll see it referencing other names beside the 12 that we know. Ah, I mess up your theology today? Thank you, Lord. Okay, so last week... Those different gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastor teachers, pastor slash teachers, they were given to the church for what? Let's look at the verse one more time. For the equipping of the saints. Remember the word can mean mending because we all limp. We all need mending for the mending of the saints, for the work of service, for the working energy of diaconing, deaconing. Remember what deacon means? A table waiter. And so when deacons were set apart, and that's the root word, the same one, to serve one another, humble service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God and to a mature man, a complete man, an adult, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result... It's not up there. The next verse says, we will no longer be children, toddlers. Last week I mentioned Charlie Tremendous Jones, who called it thumb-sucking. We should grow up. See, that's what we're looking for as disciples. That's what I want. I want to grow up. I want to be mature. 
I don't want to be a thumb sucker. I don't. I'd like to say I never have a thumb-sucking reaction, but once in a while I do. See, this is talking about we should be reflecting. We start to model our life on Jesus who learned to, he said, I came not to be served, not to be waited on. Did he get waited on? Yes, he did. People served him. Martha and Mary, remember there was a conflict over that, having dinner. He was served a lot. It wasn't wrong to be served. It's not wrong for people to serve me. That's not wrong. It's when I'm preoccupied with when am I going to get served, and I never think about going in the other direction of serving somebody else. That's where the problem is. So the point of spiritual leadership, and there's a reason I'm saying this, because I want to kind of drive something home. The purpose of spiritual leadership is to mature the saints so that we become, first, a deaconing church. We serve each other. Okay, so enough said on that. Because serving is a manifestation of the maturing process. I'm growing up, I find other people to serve and to pour into rather than building my own little kingdom. So the next thing is then, we follow Jesus by serving, but we also follow him by maturing, which is my segue to the real point here. I have a quote. I'm going to bring it in now. John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, which talks about spiritual disciplines, because, by the way, maturing doesn't happen haphazardly. It doesn't happen by accident. You can't neglect the means of grace and expect to grow up strong in the Lord. You have to use the means of grace. You have to be in his word. You have to learn how to give. You have to do those things. In his book a chapter called Appropriate Smallness. It's talking about humility. He quotes Richard Foster, who said this, More than any other single way, the grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of service. Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service, and nothing, get this, transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. Oh, man drag. You don't know what the flesh is. Everybody know what? The flesh is that broken part of us, the sin nature that still is there. You've got the new nature now, praise God, who wants you to be like Jesus. You've got the old nature who wants to go back to thumb sucking. There's the problem, the flesh. Nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but it screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. You didn't notice me. Wah. (laughs) My title came from this track that was written years ago called Not to Be Served. Originally, it was called What Made You Cross? And it's quoting this very verse. I handed it out to our team that went to Africa. It probably got lost, right? They changed the name. I don't know why. I couldn't find it again. I can't remember what the new name is. Absolute obedience or surrender or some crazy fanatical thing like that. But anyway, not to be served, but to serve. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he just brings out some samples of how we end up in trouble. Are you jealous? Are you slighted? Don't say anything. Consider that most hateful thing we call jealousy. Someone else's praise. Someone else does better than you. Someone else is more fortunate. Someone's got better likes on his Facebook page. 
The honor, the success, the popularity has gone to him. You wanted it for yourself. You wanted to be exalted. And because he has received all the glory, you're jealous. And you're cranky. Anyway, are you praised? You have been kind to somebody. You have done something, someone a favor, and it cost you something to do it. Naturally, you thought your goodness would be appreciated, but it wasn't. At least not as much as you thought it should have been. You expected profuse thanks. Your friend took it calmly. You're disgusted. <laughs> it's never happened to anybody in this room, I'm sure. You wish you hadn't bothered to help him at all. And feel half inclined to say you will never do it again. Why? You have served another. You have helped someone who was in need. But you wanted to be thought exceedingly generous. And the press report didn't come out. You expected thanks, praise, and a little flattery. Are you slighted? <laughs> this is what's funny to me. I'm, I'm going to have to just tell this one and not the big one. I have a big one that really is embarrassing. Oh, listen, listen. I want the big one so I can post it on Facebook. As long as you praise me, I'm okay with it. No, I'm kidding. That was a, that was a joke. Okay. You've been slighted. Oh, wait, I lost my page. Here we go. Ah, here it is. You're ignored, brushed aside. Somebody, an employee, somebody has not treated you the way you should be treated. And maybe even rightly, by the way. Can I say that? Maybe even rightly. Because of your position or whatever it might be. You are very much upset. Why? Because your feelings, rights, gifts, position were not recognized. But see, I can die to that. Jesus had to die. Think about it. If Jesus had let all of our stupidity tick him off, we'd all be burning you know where. Oh, why should I bother helping these people? Look at how they treat me. I don't have to go to the cross. I'm going back home. Boy, it sounds fleshly, doesn't it? Jesus wouldn't do that. Thanks be to God. Neither should we. Because we're his followers. Do we get it perfectly? No, I didn't get it perfectly. I'm, I'm, I'm joking with my staff because we had a little conversation where I got, I was insulted. And I, and I, can I be really transparent here? What I'm really embarrassed about is that it really ticked me off. <laughs> I'm embarrassed by that. Because usually I just go, eh, well, whatever, you know. And sometimes I say, well, consider the source or whatever, you know. But, but, and Gene's been walking with me a long time. He's heard me complain about things I shouldn't complain about. And, uh, you know, we drive together to karate, and he's, listen, are you done yet? No, he doesn't really say that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and normally, I kind of, I have this default button. I've learned, because Jesus is like this. If you ask for his forgiveness, what does he do? Not a trick question class. What does he do if you ask for forgiveness? He forgives you, Right. I want to be like that. I've tried to learn that. It becomes a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, somebody hurt me, insulted me, is rude to me. Well, okay, I choose to forgive it. I, it got under my skin. That embarrasses me. I'm just coming clean. No, it wasn't good. It was wrong. Do you even have the desire to forgive and move in freedom? You need to do some work following him, maybe, Okay. That's all I'm trying to say. It, it got under my skin. Can, I came up with a brilliant comment. I did. It happens like once a decade. 
Real disciples, a.k.a. spiritual leaders, real disciples, whether they're nation, developing, or mature, refuse to let insults stop them. They refuse to let opposition and insults deter them because they're following Jesus. We die to the flesh because we see Jesus rather than how important we are. He's the, he, ha, you know, anytime you start getting an attitude, just look at the cross. That's why so much of the devotional material says, look at the cross. You're not going to pay it any more forward than he did, ever. Amen. You can't. He beats us, hands down. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean things don't bother us. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to, like, walk on. That's not what I'm saying. When you recognize, uh-oh, I'm on the wrong path here. This isn't good. One of the brothers prayed and mentioned a word that described what I felt, and I went, that's the end of that discussion. I fold. I was free instantly. Instantly I was free of it. And you can be, too. Never let another person's sin become yours. I don't mean I'm hanging out with my drinking buddies and I started. That's not what I mean. Although you shouldn't do that either. I'm talking about this person sins and acts cruddy or whatever and mistreats, whatever, and it torques your shorts. Don't allow their bad behavior to make your behavior bad which is what goes on all the time with what we're seeing in the news and everything else. These people, and now we're talking like pagans. Never let another person's sin become yours. It's hard to do, but it can be done. It can be done. So I hate to admit this. I hate to admit this. I didn't finish my sermon. I got one more text, and I cannot share it now because it'll take too long to unpack it. But let me mention something about walking in this following Jesus spirit, walking in humility and letting God turn my focus from where I'm broken and and where I'm selfish to make me more generous like him and to look outside at serving other people. I'm going to quote two things from Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer because I was thinking about it. There's a chapter in here called ministry because we're all called to do the ministry. That's what I'm talking about. Serving is doing the ministry, whatever it is, whether it's physical stuff or it's spiritual stuff, whether I'm praying with people to help them come to peace about something or whether I'm providing a meal for them in their time of crisis, whatever it is, that's ministry. So he's got a chapter called ministry. And there's two primary ones that I thought, if I go over a minute, please forgive me because it's worth hearing. The first ministry he lists in chapter four of Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is the ministry of holding one's tongue. Oh, when you're a talker, this stuff really irritates you. You know what I mean? Because I'm a talker. Often we combat our evil thoughts most effectively if we absolutely refuse to allow them to be expressed in words. It is certain that the spirit of self-justification can be overcome only by the spirit of grace. Nevertheless, isolated thoughts of judgment can be curbed and smothered by never allowing them the right to be uttered. Thus, it must be a decisive rule 
in every Christian fellowship that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to him. Do I have to repeat that one? It should be a rule that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to him. Take that home and pray on it. Seriously. Stuff I've heard. Wow. Really? You're smarter than everybody? Wow. Wow. Really? Did you mean that? Wow. Nobody as righteous as you, huh? Wow. You didn't know we had some really power brokers here, huh? Here's the other one. The ministry of listening. Did you hear it? The ministry of listening. I'm still learning this. This was my really embarrassing illustration. You're going to have to wait. You have to come back next week. Okay, class? One who cannot listen long and patiently will presently be talking beside the point and be never really speaking to others, albeit he be not conscious of it. Anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God and his brother, but only for himself and for his own follies. Yikes! This Bonhoeffer guy was brutal. There is a kind of listening with half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. Anybody ever done that? Ooh, ow, yeah. This is no fulfillment of our obligation. And it is certain that there is here, that here, too, our attitude toward our brother. Oh, man, this is the one I hate. I hate this. Ready? Let me say it again. This is no fulfillment of our obligation. In ministering to another, I need to listen and make sure I understand what their context really is. And it is certain here, too, our attitude toward our brother only reflects our relationship to God. In other words, we just don't listen. We're so busy telling him what's what that we can't always hear. I can only tell you that it was almost a little bit of a culture shock when I, way back, I've been here six years now, but trying to express something or tell about something and have somebody topper me instantly. You know what topper is? You know, you think that's something? This is my story. Did you hear what I said? No, this is my story. We can be so focused on ourselves. We're so inward. That's not a healthy inward focus. Turn it around and look. Let's hear what that person is really going through. Let's understand what they are struggling with before I tell them how wonderfully I have won this battle. And I tend to do that. I'm a dummy sometimes. You know what I mean? Isn't that ministry? The ministry of holding my tongue on one hand, the ministry of genuinely listening on the other hand. How many times have people just need, I've needed to just unload. I just need to unload. I don't need you to quote verses to me. I just need you to hear me because this really crushed me or hurt or whatever. Just listen and make sure you get what I'm saying. And then there might be ample time for praying together and building each other up. Amen? Looking inward, are we broken? Are we stuck? Is our own kingdom more important than God's? 
can we look out into what kind of kingdom work is God doing in the person three seats down from me or all the way in the front or all the way in the back or outside of this building, whatever it might be. I kept you too long. I'm going to ask you that you stand. We're going to close in prayer. If you're here today and you're like, you know what, it's time for me to stop being a toddler, I'll be nice. You want to get on the discipleship road, please. Something that the Holy Spirit's reminded you of, please spend the time talking to him. Come up, we'll pray with you or leave you be, however it has to be. God's will be done. Lord Jesus, we come in simple faith today. We know that we are works in progress. We know that we stumble, we know. But Lord, what we don't want to do is say, well, that's just the way we are. Take it or leave it. (laughs) Lord, you have every right to say, get rid of it. And so we want to grow. I want to grow. I want to be more like you. You're the perfect one. You're the altogether lovely one. You're the sample, the example, the servant to us, the friend of sinners, as we've sung. You're the one that we want to be like. And so, Lord, would you get a hold of us where we are inward, where we are toddling, whatever it might be, break through that. Thank you for every disciple in the room, every little flock member who is a follower that is leaning in and saying, work that into me, God. Thank you, and bless them with their answered prayer. Bless me, I pray, with answered prayer to be more like you as we grow together as as an assembly here. Put your angels around your people today. Continue to stir, continue to sanctify and make us more like the master himself. We'll never arrive this side of glory, but we're okay with that. As long as we're in the process, we'll thank you. Bless, we pray, in the great name of Jesus, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And we're up here to pray with you if you need to.